Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter Day Takes. I'm your host, Harper Anderson, once again back at it for another episode. Now, I've got some plans coming down the wire. I've got an episode definitely coming next week. I'm excited about this one. It hasn't been recorded yet, so don't worry about that. Um, it'll be fun though. I'll be uh, kind of recounting some of my own history. I'll be getting pretty vulnerable. I'll have uh, a guest on with me to kind of help me through it, to kind of help facilitate conversation and things like that. And um, we're going to record it live in the studio, in person, whatever that means, right? It's not going to be a live recording, but um, we'll be in person. I think that'll make it a little bit better as well. I'm excited about this one. Be really good. Spoiler, or I guess a little teaser, he's been on the podcast before, and also I think we'll have a fun time because I think we'll do kind of more segments and stuff like that together uh, before, maybe after, stuff like that. So I think it'll be a pretty good one. Also, I've got another episode kind of in the works for planning. I want to do another rewatch type episode of a Christmas movie. It'll be different guests this time, or a guest, um, but still kind of nailing some of those details down. Anyway, I'm going to forego the news segment today. Uh, I don't really have much that is striking me as wanting to talk about. I'm kind of just trying to get this out there. Uh, today's episode guest is Kyle Deaver, who is starting his own podcast, Leave It to Deaver. You can find that every anywhere on any podcast platform. Um, Kyle's getting things going on his end with this podcast, but he's had a really cool life. He's actually just a slightly younger than me, but he feels way older because he's married, has like three kids, four kids maybe. I'm sorry if I got that wrong, Kyle. Um, but really interesting life. Just one of those that just like worked hard. His dad had a really interesting job that would leave him kind of months at a time working in Hollywood, working on movie sets and things like that. But Kyle learned how to work hard on his own and just make ends meet and just keep grinding and grinding and grinding. He's a wonderful example of just living out your passion and just working hard to achieve your goals. And then part of one of the questions that I posed his way, and this I did not plan on asking this question, but it kind of the conversation facilitated that. And I appreciated it because Kyle was all about the free flow. So I loved that. Um, was why we see a lot of people when they make a lot of money leave the church. Nobody can question that that's fairly common, right? That's fairly consistent. So we touched on that. And Kyle actually shared how much money he's going to make this year. And for context, it was totally appropriate. Plus, I don't think it's a big deal. I think people should be more open about these things anyway. So I was really appreciative of that because that gave him a lot of credibility when it came to this topic. And we opened up and he started talking about it, giving his thoughts there. And I thought it was fascinating. So I hope you enjoy that. That kind of becomes one of the focal points of this conversation for a bit near the end there, among many other things. So hopefully you all enjoy this pod, um, this episode in particular, and I close it out by giving some thoughts on the question about why God lets bad things happen to good people. So stay tuned for that. That's on the back end, and I hope you enjoy and appreciate some of those thoughts. If not, let me know, obviously, or if you do, let me know. Um, always open a conversation as you are aware. Um, with that, we'll go ahead and toss it to the intro. I hope you all enjoy this. Hope you all have a great week, and we'll see you on the other side. Before we get started on the podcast, I do want to give a shout out to a sponsor, uh, Odyssey Snacks. We're back at it, guys. These, these protein bars, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you are amazing. Now, you have six flavors to choose from. It's Odyssey Snacks. You can find these on odysseysnacks.com. You can also find these on Amazon. Now, if you go to odysseysnacks.com, 
and type in my promo code, HEARTBEAT10, you'll actually get 10% off. So who doesn't love that? But let me tell you, we have mint chocolate brownie, peanut butter chocolate chip, dark chocolate almond, vanilla blueberry, mocha chocolate crisp, and my personal favorite, banana chocolate chip peanut butter. The consistency of these bars is amazing. The taste of all of these, I've had them all, is amazing. I promise you, I'm not just kidding. And I've had a lot of protein bars in my life. I like the Fit Crunch one. I like the G2G. But these are honestly better. The macros are amazing. And they actually make you feel pretty energized. Like you can hit the gym pretty hard with these. I would know, guys, not because I'm a total meathead, but maybe because I'm a little bit of a meathead. I fasted for three days. And then I was, cra- I, no joke, I was craving these bars. Maybe I'll tell you guys more about that at another time. But I literally did not eat any calories for almost an, exactly 72 hours straight. I'm mean, at 66. That wasn't because I couldn't make it to 72. That was just because I figured I was doing a measurement and I was like, oh, it's done. Might as well eat. Anyway, I craved these bars because they taste delicious. Great on the macros. Check them out. You will not regret it. OdysseySnacks.com slash heartbeat10. We'll take you right there to the discount page or you can enter it in the checkout as a promo code H-A-R-P-E-Y-1-0 and you get 10% off. Would make a great Christmas gift. Would make a great snack to go to the gym, traveling, whatever you see fit. Anyway, enjoy it, guys. Check it out. Love you all. Catch you later. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. Have you ever, under the influence of alcohol, questioned the teachings of the Mormon church? Well, these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of it, most of it. And they're like not cussing. They're like... Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, joining me on the pod today, we have Kyle Deaver, who I'm just going to go out on a limb and say your friends called you Deves growing up, didn't they? Uh, they called me Deaver. The coaches would put an S on the end, but they did, they did just call me Deaver. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I figured something like that, right? <laughs> Um, Kyle joining me from Florida. Is that right? Yeah, I'm in Florida for the week. Uh, I'm up in beautiful Jacksonville. Oh, you put quotes around that air quotes. Uh, is I've actually never even been out to Florida. Is Jacksonville like particularly not that pretty? Uh, it's up near the north. So there's really pretty beaches, but it's, you know, it's not Miami beach. It's, it's not where you would travel on vacation for sure. Gotcha. So what takes you out there then? Uh, so I own a sales company. Uh, we, we it's a door to door company. We sell windows, and uh, we've got an office here in Jacksonville. So I'm out here doing some trainings. Oh, cool! And you, but you live? Do you you live in Utah? Do you live in St. George currently? No, no, I live in Layton. I live in Syracuse, just off of Layton. So okay, so I know that you at least at one point in your life lived in St. George. Yeah, based I lived, off of some of the episodes of yours I was listening to. Yeah, I went on my mission to – so I served my mission. And when I came back, uh, I moved to St. George because Dixie, all he needs is a heartbeat and a Social Security number. 
So they they took me they took me right in. Uh, my wife, I met her in L.A. too, and so that's where I'm from originally. Is L.A. She moved out with me, and we lived in St. George for four years, and then we moved on up to Lehigh, and then up to Syracuse, Layton. So, do you tell people right now that you're officially a Utah Tech alum, or do you stick with Dixie? <laughs> well, I never graduated. I was too dumb. I, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a Dixie State dropout. My wife my wife was it was still Dixie State when she was there, so she's proud of it. She graduated. Yeah, what'd you guys think about the name change? I'm just curious. Yeah, for me, I it, it's it's weird. I, I always thought Dixie was cool. I actually had a uh, I mean St. George is Utah's Dixie, so. I had a business down there. It was uh, it was a junk haul business. I would Monday through Friday, I'd put out a Facebook ad about hauling off some junk for you, and then on Saturdays, I would go rent a truck from the storage facility and and, and haul off a bunch of junk. Uh, but I called that business Dixie Dirty Jobs. So uh, oh, I, I always had an affinity for the Dixie name, but uh, I, because I'm not a native Dixie guy, I, I didn't take great offense. But I know some people that were really pissed about it for sure. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, by the way, I don't shy away from like these political yeah, topics. Yeah. I hope that doesn't bother you yeah. at all. I'm, these, these are not trap questions. No, you're that's good. For sure. you're, like, you're, this is not gotcha journalism you're, by any means. You're welcome to ask me. You'll just have to deal with uh, I'm, I'm pretty dumb. So I'll, I'll give you the, lay, I, the, the layman's view of things. I don't believe in that, by the way. I think everybody is smart in their own way, so to speak. You just got to find it personally. In fact, I was listening to – I pulled up the episode that you did with Sean Bingham, yeah. um, a buddy of ours that set up this uh, this uh, podcast with us, which was it was awesome of him to do that. Um, but so you guys were kind of talking about uh, the ins and outs of how you became who you are, essentially. Sean, like you guys got those entrepreneur brains, which I think is awesome, and I admire that quite a bit. I pulled up a different episode of somebody I didn't know because I also wanted to just kind of explore – your episode of somebody I didn't know because yeah. I would kind of probably add a couple more layers of the dynamic there to help me understand <laughs> kind of who you are and whatnot. I can't remember the name of the, the person you had on the episode, but um, they were talking about the education system, I think. And it was kind of funny to me because all three of the people on your pod, which I think one of them was, is he like your uh, co-host? Uh, no, he's, he's my business partner, Levi. Oh, you just brought him on for that yeah. episode? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, cool. Um, all three of you are doing great. It seems like business wise. And I want to get back to your Dixie dirty jobs in a second, actually, cause I, I did hear that in that episode and I was just fascinated by that, but get to that in a second. Um, you had talked about, I think it was the guy you had on, can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. Um, had an interesting life for sure. And kind of his business trajectory, but it, he was talking about how he didn't do well in school. You've talked about how you're not doing what you didn't do well in school. I think your business partner even said the same thing. Is that right? Uh, yeah, he, he graduated, but he so he was at uh, he actually went to UT in Austin uh, to be a lawyer, and he dropped out his first year. So he graduated with an undergrad, but he dropped out from from law school. Gotcha. Yeah, and I found that conversation really interesting, just considering the fact that you are all three pretty successful guys. We the only way. For about 12, 13 years, it seems like that we can measure success for children is through a system that really operates on one linear uh, design, right? right. right? And it is only – it's it's what I'm assuming the reason why the system exists is because it's broadly applicable because most people that have success in this system 
will then go on to potentially have a successful life outside of that. But what I found interesting was that three guys here who are all smart in their own way didn't do particularly well in that system. It sounds like your business partner did pretty well for all intents and purposes, quite frankly. But two out of the three certainly didn't love it. And it didn't really matter in terms of who you guys have kind of turned yourselves into. You've become kind of self-made men. And it's impressive. And it just made me kind of think about how, yeah, the education system's kind of whack to some degree. It's in place for a reason. But you do kind of wonder, like, you wonder how it got in place in the first, like, at, at the start. Was it just arbitrary? Was it financially motivated? I don't know. But these questions have kind of occurred to me. Well, I think it it was a quote from Einstein who said that the problem we've got is that uh, if you measure uh, a fish by his ability to climb a tree, then, of course, he's going to look like an idiot, right? Uh, It's the same thing is that if we're out here measuring – my strengths are I'm not a detail guy. I'm a sales guy. I mean, the thing is I – uh, if I wasn't good at, if I wasn't in sales, I'd, I'd, I'd be making 30 G's a year because I don't, I just don't have the skills to not be in sales. Right. But if you measure me by my ability to do accounting, which is what maybe drop out three separate semesters from, from college was, was accounting, then yeah, you're like, yeah, Kyle's a dummy. Right. So I think that my big take on school, right. Is that, uh, especially college. And this is what I tell all the guys who work for me is that uh, I'm, I'm not at war with college, but it college school is a tool. And if you're going to, if you've got this great passion to be a doctor, you've just always wanted to be a healer. Or if you promised your dying grandfather, that you were going to be a teacher, then sure, go to school, learn how to do that thing. But if your goal is to make money, uh, there is so many different ways to do so. And, and in my opinion, better ways. Absolutely. And I think even more salient in terms of what's consistent across the board for successful people than education is how hard right. they work. I, I think that applies to athletics just as well. Just yeah, well, my, my thought on, on how hard you work, right? Because for me, so I own a business that now we've got, we've got seven offices where in six states where we're expanding quickly. Uh, I always had this thing in me that I wanted to be the guy that could be 80 hours a week, a hundred hours a week. I, I looked at those guys. I was like, man, I wish I had something that I could do that much work for. And now uh, I, I had a, a mentor of mine. He, he doesn't know he was a mentor of mine. His, his name is Sky Povey. And I, I used to work at this tech. Wait, 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 wait. Old BYU uh-huh. football yep, player. Yep. Sky. I met, I, I, I met Sky yeah. before. Yeah. He's a, He's, That's he's funny, man. Cool I met him randomly in Wyoming through a buddy of mine, and he and I got into an argument with our mutual yeah, friend. Not, yeah. I, I wasn't arguing with Sky. It was with our mutual friend that had uh, how we met, talking about how Bronco Mendenhall was actually yeah. a better coach than uh, <laughs> than what he the, our buddy thought, who was a big Utah fan. It was kind yeah, of funny because Sky- <laughs> I'm a BYU guy right, anyway. And, That's and no Sky- secret. But Sky's a good dude, man. We hit it off immediately. He's a really nice guy. Like yeah, him. And, and I, I think he went to a couple practice squads. He was on, he was on the practice squad for the Packers, and then he got cut. But he uh, he ended up working at Weave, which is a tech company down on the slopes, and he was my VP of sales when I was there for a brief time, and. He did this long post when Weave went public. He's not even at Weave anymore. But he talks about when he left football, he went to this tech company, he was doing sales, and he got an opportunity to be in management. And what what 
he was going to do is take a 50% pay cut. He had never been in, in sales management, but he said, I'm just going to do it. And he said he took this next year and watched every sales video he could watch, every management video, read every book. And his line there was that passion does not precede the work. It follows it. And all these people that are out there say, well, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It, it's, it's, it's not right. You need to go out and do the work and that thing becomes your love. It becomes your passion. And, and for me, that's what work is, is that I put so many hours into this thing that we've built and it's allowed me to, I didn't believe I was going to be a window man when I was a little kid, but I've done it for, I've, I've built this thing. And now you couldn't tear me away from it. Passion does not precede the work. It follows it. Oh, that's cool. That's well stated. Is uh is Sky still living in a van? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. So he was he was doing the the cross country thing. I don't keep tabs on him too much, but I I think he's back in Utah. I'm not sure, but Sky honestly he he's like the Wolf of Wall Street. He'd come into these meetings full of 600 people and just be running around and throwing things. And I was hyped, dude. I was going through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he's got to be careful. He's li- he's sounding a little bit too close to how Matt Foley ran his life too, but. Oh yeah, band down by the river. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, this yeah. guy's a good dude. That's funny. That's a funny connection. Um, let's go back to your Dixie Dirty Jobs, man. I want to talk about this because when you had mentioned that, I really was like, that is not just anybody's going to do something like that. That's the type of workhorse that that mentality, to me at least, is how I see it. You're never going to go poor. Like you're never going to run out of money to the point where you're like literally scraping the bottom of the barrel for just whatever it is you can get. And, and, and I know that's not your threshold. I know that's not like you're not scared of that, right, because you already know what you're capable of. But a lot of people are. They're like, well, if I don't have this opportunity or if I don't take advantage of this or if I don't just live in this secure lifestyle, then who knows what's going to happen. Maybe I'll lose my house. Maybe I'll lose this, that, or the other. But you reminded me a lot of a friend that I have who told me because he was – he was contemplating leaving his current business. He was in a sales gig. He still is in that gig, I think. But he was just like, he didn't love kind of the company dynamics, didn't love having to be forced to do certain things. And he's like, I don't know, man, if I lose my job, that's fine. I'm not concerned. Like, I just bought a house. I have a wife. I just have a recent baby. Like, I'm not concerned about what my outcome's going to be because I'll freaking go find used furniture and spruce it up and resell it. Like, I'll do whatever it takes. I don't care. And then hearing how you did this Dixie Dirty Jobs, which... Take us through this again, because you literally rented a truck. And like, I, I'm going to let you tell it, man. Because yeah. I, I was like, this is the type of grunt work that like these people are just determined. They're just going to do something and make it work. And I was fascinated by it. Let's hear you talk about it. You know, it, it's funny you say that I'm not scared of going broke. Because I'll, I'll tell you, that terrifies me constantly of, of ever going back, right? Because... You know, I think I've always had the mentality. I, I remember when I was down in St. George, uh, I would go to this, uh, a couple of buddies who would have a poker game, right? And I'd go every week. And these guys were all real estate agents and, and you know, they owned a couple of businesses. I was definitely the, the, the brokest guy in the room, right? And I remember having this mentality or this, this thought in my head all the time, like, I'm a small fish in a big bowl, right? And now I'm years later and I'm in a... Uh, I could have never fathomed the financial position that I'm in now back then, right? And still, I feel like my back is against the wall. I'm still, I, I still get scared. And honestly, I, I have this mentality sometimes. 
uh, I, I almost miss waking up and finding out how negative my bank account balance was going to be because yeah. it, because it's it, then I got to wake up and I got to know, oh, today's the day to fight. Now I've got to figure out how to fight uh, without that motivation. But I, I still feel scared all the time. But going back to Dixie Dirt Jobs, I remember for me, it's just I, I wanted a way to have something in mind, but that I got to make the money. But I learned an unbelievable amount of lessons from that business, right? Because it was, I mean, it was janky. It was junk haul. I, I, I started off with, my wife was very pregnant. We started off, you know, it started off as a cleaning business. And I went to a radio station. I said, hey, listen, I'll let you give away five cleaning sessions on your radio station. If you say, hey, this is Dixie Dirty Jobs, give away five for free. And then I went and I, they did the five cleanings. And as I was doing these cleanings with my like six month pregnant wife, uh, I was like, man, I hate this. I, you know, I, so I took it, I took a transition. It eventually became the junk haul thing where, like I said, I, I learned how to do Facebook advertising and I put out this ad Monday through Friday, line up all these jobs for Saturday and go and, and rent the truck. But the lessons I learned from that, uh, you know, I didn't make Jack. I didn't, I didn't make anything, but what I learned from it was I learned that I would, I would go and price these jobs and I would be so scared. Like, you know what? I don't want to lose this opportunity to get this work. So I'm going to price it super low because I don't want to lose this job. And then I'd be doing the job and I'd be like, man, why did I do this? Why did I tell, say such a low number? I, I wish I hadn't done it. So I learned that when there were jobs I didn't want to do, I'd say such a high number that Either if they said no, I was happy because I didn't have to do that job. If they said yes, I was happy because I was making a, a great amount of money on it. And what I learned is that most people just say yes. So what I learned is that, you know, we undersell ourselves so much because we're scared we're going to lose the opportunity when in reality we're just undervaluing ourselves. Uh, I also learned I, I would hit up buddies, right, who were, you know, broke like me. And I'd be like, hey, man, you know, I'll, I'll pay you 15 bucks an hour. Uh, come work on Saturdays with me. Come help me haul this junk. And, you know, guys would tell me, ah, you know, I like my Saturdays. But that same guy would be broke, never have any money. I'd be like, man, I, I get liking your Saturdays, but it's about choose your hard, right? Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your hard. Being fat is hard. Working out is hard. Choose your hard. And for me, it was always, you know, uh, doing work and, and having to trade my time for money and doing those things is hard. But not having the opportunities to do the things I want, not being able to be financially stable enough to not worry is hard. And I'm going to choose the first hard every time. Oh, that's cool, man. I like that a lot. You're saying you're making nothing. So how long did you last doing Dixie Dirty Jobs? Yeah, I did it for about, I mean, and when I say nothing, I mean, I, I'd I hear yeah, a, a thousand or, or something a month. But I did that for about two years. And it did was it support? Hard. Did it support you? Was it more like a side gig or did it support like what you and your wife needed at the time? Oh, it was 100% a side gig at that time. So my wife, she she was going to school. She Her parents are immigrants. And so she and my wife is five years older than me. I always say that she didn't rob the cradle. I robbed the grave. But she made, <laughs> <laughs> but she made this Where promise. Where are her parents from? <laughs> uh, her, her parents uh, immigrated from El Salvador. Her father's a Guatemalan, and they, they immigrated from El Salvador. So she had made this promise internally that she was always going to go get a, a degree to, to you know, uh, pay back her parents for, for making those sacrifices to come to the country. So – 
she was getting her degree, but to do that, I had to work three jobs. We had a kid. Uh, we had a kid. We got pregnant three months after we got married. Um, so in order to support that, I had to, I worked a, a main job. I worked a, a title and escrow company. I was a marketer. Uh, I did a Dixie Dare job on the weekends. And then I went and got a job at, uh, it's a place called Diamond Ranch Academy, but it's basically, uh, it's a school for boys that, you know, their parents send them off to. So they, you know, it's it, it, not juvie, but it's their, it's a reform school. Right. And I would do that the graveyard shift. So I'd get home, I'd sleep for four hours. I'd go work my regular job, sleep for two hours, go down to the graveyard shift. So I was doing all three of these things just, just to be able to try and build what we're trying to do. And, and we were still always broke, but uh, I was, the, the thing that happened for me was when I grew up, my dad was making great money. My, I mean, my, for the time, my, my dad was making 400, 500,000 a year. Right. Holy so God, I got, dad, what does your dad do or did he do? Yeah, he, he still does. He, he works in on movies. He works in Hollywood. So he's always gone and, you know, uh, he worked in Hollywood. So what does he do? do you, I'm sorry. I, I, I go through rabbit holes all the time. And now I'm no, you're good. What, is, what does he do in Hollywood? Yeah, he does something called video playback, which is basically just on set editing. So, you know, uh, among other things, they'll shoot something and he'll they'll he'll put, he'll have monitors set up in front of directors, producers, play it back. But also if they'll shoot the same take five times. They like the beginning of take A, the middle of take B, and the end of take C. He'll he'll splice them together pretty quick. I bet he's got some wild stories, man. Working with some yeah. interesting directors and whatnot. I mean, if he's making that much money, he's got to be working with some of the creme de la creme of Hollywood, right? Yeah, well, he's always done like you know all the big movies. He he did all the Pirates of the Caribbean. He he, he did the uh, yeah. He did uh, all of like the Transformers. So you know he was working with uh, you know the Ridley Scotts and. Uh, uh, what's that guy? Like J.J. Abrams? Was he doing Transformers? Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the director, the director on that is the guy who does all the explosions. Michael. Oh, Bay. Michael, Michael Bay. Bay. That's right. Yeah. 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 So yeah. he just got done. He just got done doing a shoot. He was in Hawaii. Uh, some movie for John Cena. He, he, he's always been on the big movies. Yeah. Um, sounds but, like it. That's but what that, what that did for me was growing up with a certain lifestyle. Then once I, but once I turned 18, it, you know, I wasn't cut off. He would still help me, but I had to pay my own bills. I had to do these things, especially when I got back from my mission. So it, it made me know that, well, I know how I like to live. Uh, I'm not getting supported to do that. So I've got to go hustle my butt off so that I can go get that lifestyle again, kind of thing, you know? Absolutely. Um, what do you, any of those lessons come early from your mission? Do you think, I mean, cause well, it's funny. I Googled your name, and do you know what video might have popped up when Googling your name? No, tell me. Your mission call. <laughs> oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, right. your mission call videos out there. Um, you served in South Africa, Johannesburg? Yeah. Yeah, yeah back in, like, what was that, 2011 or something? 2012 to 2014. I went when I was 20 years old. Nice. Yeah, so I uh, I was uh, Cancun area, but that was 06, oh, nice. 08. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a bit, but um, you went you went tropical. I didn't have to worry about the water. You, you weren't allowed to go to the water, but I, I didn't have any water to worry about. Yeah, yeah, we had our yeah. red zones for sure. It was cool though. I was in Playa del Carmen for six months, and um, we didn't really have any. Like, I actually got to baptize in the ocean there, which was pretty dope. Wow, that's yeah. amazing, dude. Yeah, it was a special circumstance for that one. We did have an area in my district that had to baptize in the ocean. 
Um, not ours. We actually did have a font, but they didn't have a font. So they like any baptisms they had had to happen in the ocean, which was cool. But um, anyway, so what about your mission? Like taught you some of the principles that you're living today, do you think? Dude, my mission, honestly, I, I tell every – I got guys who work for me, right? And if they say I'm going to go to school, I'm like, dude, don't go to school. Keep working here. But if any guy ever says to me, yeah, I'm thinking about going on, on a mission, it's always you must go. My mission changed my – no matter where you go, I, mean, I got lucky I get to go somewhere cool. But even if you get called to Boise, Idaho, which does uh, – Never mind. I don't want to make a joke about it, but uh, no, we make a joke. dude, dude, this is uh, make a joke all you want, man. I, I never, I never shy away from stirring the pot a little bit. And from, if you can't take a joke and you served in Boise, Idaho, I don't know if we could be friends. So that's the way I yeah. see it. My, my theory on getting called to Boise, Idaho or Salt Lake is uh, you were a fence sitter in the pre-earth life. <laughs> oh, yeah. I heard you say that. I heard you say that. That's hilarious, man. God's just saying, he's like, hey, man. Because yeah. you didn't choose me right away, yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna send you someplace. Like, you're you're gonna wish you chose me right from the yeah. start, man. Go go live and in Boise for two years. Take, take the bus <laughs> to your mission. But honestly, man, if you do if you do your mission right, you're going to love it 100 percent because it's such a life changing thing. But especially going like you went to, I mean, Cancun isn't so third world, right? There's a lot of tourist money in there, but it's still considered a third world, right? Oh, there's some. There were some of the like jankiest towns you could imagine. Um, I was the only white guy probably within like a 30 mile radius, you know, just because the other white guys were just outside my area in another small town that were other missionaries. That was a weird feeling. I was with the same companion from uh, Puebla, Mexico for six months in this town. I was in the town for seven and a half and it's it's different, man. There's not a stoplight, like barely any cars, none of the people in your ward, like three three families in your branch. I said ward branch have cars. Yeah. Um it just it's 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 so humbling in a lot of ways and and so amazing and it's just crazy to think that these places exist. There was another small town that was in one of my areas where they still do their services in Mayan. It's the only wow. allegedly the only the only branch that does all their services in mind, the only exception being the sacramental prayer is obviously done in Spanish, but that's it. Everything else that's, is in Is it near Chichen Itza? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, yeah, yeah. it's like right there. It's called. It's a little town called Waima. How'd you know that? Mm. Uh, I've been to Cancun, so. We, yeah, we, no, we the, the, this Chichen town Itza. specifically was when Chichen Itza was technically in my area. Yeah. I was in Valladolid, if you're familiar with that name. It's, uh. I believe it's a Spanish influenced town. Like it was founded by the Spaniards. It's like the oldest city that still exists that was, uh, you know, founded by the Spaniards when they came in, took over everything. It's by lead, and it's like 30 minutes outside of Chichen Itza. Tiny little town called Waima, U A Y M A, I think is how you spell it, um, where they do all their services in Mayan. So it's funny that you like knew that. It's like really close to Chichen Itza. That's crazy. Dude, Chichen Itza is amazing. I mean, even after going to, uh, you, you watching? Did you ever watch the Road to El Dorado? No, I never did actually. It's a it's a cartoon, but then you yeah. you go and it, when you go, did you go to Chichen Itza while you were there? Yeah, yeah, we got on to P, go on P day. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing those ball courts and everything. It's just that place is insane, man. Where I, they I, hit it with their I head. I love that kind of, Yeah, yeah, wow. it's freaking wild, man. Yeah. I always thought it's funny too. Yeah, that I love a little bit of a tangent, but it's like 
it's funny to think that like what we think we know from the archaeologists or from the anthropologists or whatever that say, oh yeah, because they have this set up, like clearly the person playing the game would see who could get it the ball through the hoop that stuck out of the wall first, but only using their hip, and then that person who won would be sacrificed to the gods. And it's like so funny yeah. to think that's like we're pretty sure that's how it happened. And you know what? Quite frankly, it could have been easily how it happened. But you take like just a couple of interpretations and you and you and you mix them up with something else, and that whole theory could be wrong. <laughs> like early well, on, I find and, that fascinating. And it's funny you say that. So my question is, uh, being so close to those people, how much is discussed about you know them being our what we understand to be Lamanites and all those people? Uh, so down in the mission with the members of the church, there's a general understanding from what I could tell uh, that that's like they're all descendants from the Lamanites. And it was kind of cool because there's a scripture in Alma. It's when Amma is, Ammon is visiting King Lamoni. And I actually think it's specifically, I think it's Lamoni's wife, I think. It's either Lamoni's wife or Lamoni's mother. Because I know when he had his experience with Lamoni, like, like they fainted, everybody fainted, all that stuff. Yeah. And and then there was another, there was like a part two when he like met Lamoni's father. And then Lamoni's father, I think even like fainted for a little bit too. I can't, so that's why I get a little bit mixed up. But when the queen was summoned to check on her husband, whether that was Lamoni or I thought he was dead. Yeah. Uh, like, and, and he, she was asked though, like, do you, like, do you, he, she says something like, he doth not stink to me. And she said, I, I actually believe you, Ammon, you telling me this stuff. And Ammon responds and says, you have such great faith, a mo- better faith than I've ever seen among the Nephites. Which is kind right. of a cool thing to think about when it comes to the faith of their descendants. And I remember pointing that out to them a couple times and being like, you are the genetic outcome of these people right and we see that it, there's an example clearly laid out in the book of mormon that among the nephi or the among among the lamanites there was more faith shown demonstrated by a specific lamanite woman and there may be something to that culture and that's something that you guys all possess was kind of my takeaway from that and i thought that was really cool um some seemed to appreciate it okay others didn't really care but <laughs> either way yeah there is a general understanding i think that they are those descendants and um a lot of the sites down there, it depends on who you talk to. There's a specific family that was in one of my areas in Playa del Carmen. They're the Petlacalco family. A lot of people actually know about yeah. them because they'll like go down there and see the sites. And it's like the Book of Mormon Tours is, I think, the name of their company. Yeah, yeah. And the Petlacalco family, who I know the mother, Alma, personally, and the her husband, and they're great people, um, they love to lean into that whole Book of Mormon thing. Like, they talk about Tulum and... um, Quetzalcoatl. What's that one again? Quetzalcoatl. That's the bird, but we know it is Christ. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, But there are other archaeologists apparently out there that will say, like, the Tulum wasn't really created until, like, 600 AD. So it just depends on who you talk to. 
I personally don't really care. I, I mean, I, I think the influence is clearly there. I think you saw that influence all the way down to the Native Americans that possessed this land in the United States. I think you see it even there too, like that tribal behavior that you see kind of at the starts at the beginning, or I guess the beginning, the genesis of that tribal behavior starts at the end of the Book of Mormon, right? When they all start to kind of group off into different tribes and whatnot. And um, it's interesting to see how that influence has been passed down. But I don't know. I don't know if that kind of helps answer your question. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. I mean, me, me, for me, I lived – so I, I loved being in there, and, and, and it's funny. You know, we're, we're down there for a, a company trip, so we got all the people, and all of us uh, – a lot of us are LDS, uh, you know – because we're all, most of us are coming from Utah and we're all there. And it's fun to go to Chichen Itza and hear the guide tell stories and all of us look at each other and say, Oh, we know what that is. Oh, we know what that is kind of thing. So, uh, it's fun to be around there. Uh, going, going back to my mission, uh, honestly, like, like I said, for me getting to live in Africa, so I lived in Johannesburg and I lived in some very rich areas. And then I, I lived in some very poor areas. And then I served the second half of my mission in Botswana. Halfway through my mission is when they made the announcement for the 18-year-olds. So we just got a, a swarm. And so Botswana broke up into its own mission. And I requested it because I love Botswana. It's the country to the north of it. Uh, but for me, living in, in, a, in a third world country like that and being able to embrace the culture, I loved. I mean, I was... Unless I had a white companion, I was the only white guy. There, it, Botswana has two million people, three million people, ninety-nine percent African. So it's just, I'd be walking up the street, and what I love about it is that it's so basic there. It's so, it's so bold, and and there is no PC. There's nothing, right? Because when you're walking up the street, you hear little kids going "Lahua," which just is white man or Englishman. <laughs> And, and when you'll walk up to a kid and you're like, wow, you're fat, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and to me, it's just, I love it because here we've got so many comforts and so many, you know, it's that old axiom of, uh, tough times makes hard men, hard men make easy times, easy times make soft men, soft make men hard times, right? And there, because they've got hard times, they got, they have no time to be soft. So everything is as it is. They'll tell you right to your face and, and it's just, I mean, I loved it. I loved living there. I, when you walk up, they love Christ so much there. So when you walk up to their door, you knock on it and you, uh, you yell, Coco, which is just knock, knock. And if you, they don't open the door or if somebody doesn't answer, you can open the door and stick your head in and say, hey, missionaries. No way. Uh, yeah, it's uh-huh. just, it's, they're so humble and so happy to have you there. And, but the big thing, I mean, and this is where it comes in for, it doesn't matter where you serve. I think a mission is the first time that you're the man, that you're, you're, you're the guy, right? And so that's why I, I do kind of feel bad for missionaries in like Utah, because they're surrounded by 10 million other return missionaries. So they, they don't really get to be that guy. But I got to sit in a bishop's council where the, uh, you know, it was a small ward, should have been a branch, but the bishop would say, okay, we're going to do this. Is that okay, Elder Deaver? And I'd be like, that's okay. <laughs> and uh, and it just you like look behind you for a sec. You're like, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> yeah, and it's just so it's so validating and, and and so it's just such a great experience to understand that when it comes to the gospel, 
when it comes to the church, I am a big authority here. And I think, you know, it's, it's like they say, it doesn't matter how many people you convert on your mission, you get the ability to really convert one person and that's yourself, right? Oh, they, you, you get to become converted. No, I totally agree with that. That's well, that's well put. Yeah, you and you and Sean were kind of talking about this on your episode uh, that you had him on, where it's, I kind of feel bad about how unseriously, which I know isn't technically a word, I take missionaries that I see in Utah. Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I like, I, I may probably shouldn't feel this way, but ultimately I'm kind of like, man, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard in their own way, but it's like such a different, different, it's gotta be such a different experience. I can't even explain it. And obviously I hadn't experienced it. So I, I wouldn't know, but it is, it's funny because you're right. There is like a lot of that burden placed on you where you're on your own. When you're in a place like Utah, high, high density, uh, population of the church you really are you have a safety net you're really supported in a lot of ways i actually had a roommate i lived so i lived out in texas for four years i uh i just finished my master's degree at byu and then i went out to texas tech to get an additional degree and uh um while i was there i had a roommate who served in utah and he loved it and he was just like one of those like hard-working types like it wouldn't have phased him either way he grew up in amarillo like always had to work hard from day one and just always had a great attitude too, but it was it was such an interesting dynamic thinking about like his mission versus mine because it's to your point it's like it all like you don't have that support system you you are you are your own support system and if it's not there if it's not wholly intact maybe not wholly intact it's probably putting it a little bit extreme but if it's not at least somewhat intact it's going to crumble pretty easily. I remember feeling yeah. that pretty ugly like three or four weeks into my mission into the field. The MTC is such a breeze. I freaking loved the MTC. I mean, I loved it, but then I also got sick of it. And coming off into the field, I'm just sitting there thinking, I can't believe how hard this is. <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, I remember, um, and, and uh, let me touch on the point about missionaries in Utah. It is my own, uh, hubris is the right word too, because hubris is pride that damages you right i'm sure it's my own hubris but when the missionaries are over i'm happy to feed them and, and give them tea and everything but uh, tea i mean uh, it was <laughs> tea in, it, it, it was tea in africa we'd have as rubibos but uh um but we, we you know give them hot chocolate whatever it is but then when they sit there and I say okay now kyle and andrea uh, before we come back, we'd like you to do this thing. And I'm like, dude, get out. <laughs> uh, I, uh, you know, not because I don't want to do so, but it's like, I remember saying that to people who were learning about the church. And, and so it's my own, uh, it's my own shortcoming that I'm like, yeah, dude, you know, that's, I heard something just recently. There's a guy, you know, do you know who Jason Walton is? He owns Moxie. I don't. Uh, so he owns Moxie pest control and, uh, Big time. And he, I've, I've got a group called the Utah Seven, where it's seven of us active LDS and, uh, you know, pretty high earners. And, I, you know, we're kind of in the same stratosphere of the money we make and, and what we do, but also we're all active LDS. Because what I've found is when I got to this level of, of the money I make, it's hard to find a mentor who's above me, who's also got the same values I have. It's hard to, to want to learn from somebody when I disagree with a lot of the things that they say about the world. Uh, but we had Jason on and he was talking about, he's like, you know, you're, uh, when you think I don't need to be told anything, I can just tell you what to do. You're on thin ice. 
And the only person who can say that is Christ, but it's okay for him to be on thin ice because he can walk on water. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was, I, I really liked that. But, you know, um, anyway, that's, that's the Salt Lake thing. You were saying about, I Actually, hold on a second. I want to go into that a little bit. Because you bring yeah. up a great point, and this is something I thought about too. And some of one of my friends, who's actually a doctor, um, so he he you know he makes good money, really good money. Um, he also works really hard. I, I I listened to that podcast, by the way. Which one? Uh, doctor, he, he's he's the form athlete. Oh, okay, so that was a different one. That's a different friend of mine. Yeah. But yeah, Mike Hansen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But how to get the how to get ripped? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't totally work out for me. But it was, <laughs> um, but no, this is a different buddy of mine who's a doctor, works really hard, makes good money. But he's he's had this point, and I think he's onto something. Where like there really does seem to be a threshold where when you once you start to make like crazy amounts of money. Now I don't know what crazy amounts of money is. Um. And I'm thinking he, what he's talking about is kind of like pushing like million and beyond um, a year. You you start to lose sight of a lot of things that you used to very like hold sacred that you used to value. And I think it's and I'm curious what you think why that is. And being somebody that's in kind of that realm that you're on that trajectory, right? Like you could you could get to the point easily with your where you're at right now in your life, where you're pulling in a million plus later on per year. And I'm sure that's been a goal of yours, but why is it that you start to see kind of this inverse correlation in terms of people that the high earners, the more money they make, the less involved in the church they become and the less faithful they are. And, and to, honestly, to just throw a name out there, and this is probably risky, but it's not like, I don't think this will get back to him. Even if it did, I mean, it's call a spade a spade, is the um, Dave Bateman. Like his oh, story yeah, is an interesting with the, one. With the Jews, yeah, yeah, crazy. exactly. There's all that, and and like he he's gotten into some interesting interesting stuff, like spiritually and whatnot, that I've heard from people that know him. And it's at one point like this guy was a fully active member RM, and now he's like kind of anti, from what I can tell. Like yeah. from people have told me that he's like really yeah. pretty against the church, and you're just kind of like. And, and he had that day where he was just posting all that wild stuff on Instagram about the Illuminati yeah. and, and the Freemasons. Heard about that. that. So I'll, I'll tell you, and, I, and I, don't, I don't say this for my own recognition, but I say it to be able to properly answer your question. So this year, I'll make $2 million, right? No and, way. That's and, great, man. I'm actually yeah. glad you said that. Good for you. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, not Thank talk you. about that, but like – your thoughts and all this. Well, yeah. yeah perfect. So, so I, I want. So that's the range I'm in, and so that next level of influencers and different things. It is the. Uh, I actually will refrain from naming names because you know I, I I deal I work with some of these guys, but it. The problem is that I I have I have an interesting thing because I've got my own brand and you know I've got a company with hundred people that, you know, rely on me to also maintain the values that I espouse. Right. So I have a hard time attaching my brand to people that I disagree with, especially, I mean, the really controversial stuff. I, I just, it's a, it's a hard thing for me mentally to be able to uh, put to, uh, to have juxtaposition between what I believe, but attaching myself to somebody who's so the opposite, even though they, they, uh, you know, they've got, they've got influence. They can add things to me. And I think, you know, it's even my own, you know, I I've seen it for myself and, and what others is that the more I make earthly, right. 
is that you start relying on the arm of flesh and start saying, I did this, right? And I think it's, for me, what's what I really don't like, especially living in Utah, I'm from LA originally, but I've been in Utah for eight years now, is that it becomes cool and trendy to say, oh yeah, I'm still spiritual, but uh, I'm into the, I mean, the big thing now that drives me crazy is the ayahuasca stuff, mm. or just saying, yeah, I've got this spiritual awakening because of this, that, and the other. And it just bothers me so much because it's like, you know, for me, I got to I got to worry about myself, right? Not got to worry about what they're doing. But when people have a platform and they're saying, "Hey, it's okay to believe this, but you should try this thing," it's it's like, well, you can have anything in this world for money, kind of thing. You know what I mean? And I, oh, yeah. I'm, it's bothersome. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And you bring up the ayahuasca thing. I actually got a buddy. He's not a really close friend. Super nice guy, and we are very friendly with each other. We had a long conversation because he got. I don't know if he did ayahuasca specifically, and I'll be honest, I don't really know like what the similarities what is, yeah. are between ayahuasca and other psychedelics, right? I just know that ayahuasca yeah. is a psychedelic, and it's supposed to take you kind of this spiritual enlightenment, so to speak. He had participated in something along those lines, whether it was ayahuasca or not, I'm not sure. I think he's only done it like once or twice, but it he's he's, from what I can tell, I think he's still somewhat active at least. And I'm act, I actually told him, I was like, dude, I kind of want you on the podcast. But he's, and he even said this, and I kind of appreciate this. He's like, he's like, well, I don't want you to make it seem like, if, if he's like, I understand if, if you don't want me on because it's like an endorsement, like some sort of tacit endorsement of psychedelics. And if you don't feel that way, then like, I get it. And it's like, well, no, I actually would want you on so that I could kind of come to some understanding of what motivates people yeah. to even participate in this because I'm on, I'm on the same, I'm in the same boat as you. I've got my own theory, and it's what I've presented to him, which is that I believe that the spiritual enlightenment they feel is a physiological reaction that is similar to feeling the spirit. It's just not organic. Yeah, I heard. I don't remember who I was talking to recently, but I heard somebody talk about ayahuasca and and trying to go have a psychedelic experience. I heard it. Heard him explain it that it's. It's trying to take a shortcut to spirituality, right? It's yeah. trying to take a shortcut to feeling the spirit, trying to take a shortcut. Whereas for us, I mean, I, I remember laying in the MTC and for the first time in my life, feel you know, everybody does some repenting in the MTC, right? And, and feeling godly sorrow. And, and it hurts your soul, right? Because godly sorrow, I think it's described as coming to the realization that you, you have hurt your God, right? Um, and so it's painful and repentance and being able to be worthy enough to feel the spirit is hard. So going and taking some psychedelic experience so you can go feel that thing or go get whatever, uh, chemical reaction they say it is, is a quick and easy way to do it, but it's cheating it, it, and it, it cheapens the experience. Yeah. And I, so I've thought that exi same exact thing and I think part of the issue and the reason why we're encouraged not to participate in these things is that it can actually create a confusion with your body and how it responds physiologically to these types of things. It may – and this is – like I said, this is just my own hypothesis. It's It may create this disillusion from your body that's saying, hey, like I know you're trying to feel this same connection you felt before with God through this spiritual realm or this path. But why don't you just take that little thing that you took before, that pill or whatever it is. I don't think it's a pill, but 
it goes to show my naivety towards the whole situation. I don't know what it is, what they right. consume, but um, they like shrooms or whatever it is. Like, why don't you just take that substance and then you'll feel it? And and yeah. and it it require it, it requires like a readaptation of the natural route to feeling that same spirituality that you can feel through the spirit it just takes a lot more work to feel it that way organically with that connection to god it's possible but it's harder and it requires you to be in a specific mindset and like you said experiencing godly sorrow or whatever it may be to kind of lead you there as opposed to well it's like you're good it's like a it's you know you saying that it it kind of gives me the thought of it it's like a metaphorical tower of babel Right. Where they built up this tower so they could get close and talk to God when in reality, they just need to humble themselves, repent, and then they'd be able to speak with God. Same here is that instead of taking the correct path, which is humility and repentance and doing the right things, they just want to talk to God the easy way. Right. And the thing is, you can't buy spirituality. I mean, how many how many normal folk can take a a, a trip down to Peru or wherever they go and, and, and get in a yurt. I, I mean, I don't even know how they do it. Right. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's trying, it's not about being able to feel that thing. It's about what it, what it took to do that, being able to deserve that. Thing. I totally agree. Like if, if you're rewarded by not having to work for it, like how motivated are you going to be to do this the right way? You know, I mean, it's all along those same lines. Totally get it. And, Interesting thoughts, man. Um, so how do you stay grounded then with with all of that, with the money that you're making and the opportunities? Like I know you talked about kind of the people that you associate with and the people that you want to have around you, which is I'm sure key to all that. But I'm sure there's other factors that you have to consider in all this concerning your family, all that too. And how do you keep everything around you grounded so you're not losing sight of like what your values truly are? Well, there's, there's I mean, a few factors one for sure is is my wife in that my wife she also served a mission uh i got i get lucky with my wife in that she has always been very supportive of me but i I always say if i ever left the church it would be because of laziness not because of my problem with any any amount of dogs i've said the same thing by the way literally yeah 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 i think that's how and but the the issue with that you ever ever listen to those truman g madsen uh tapes about joseph smith the prophet you know i I don't think I've ever Nine listened to the series. tapes. I've read his book on Joseph Smith. They say he's like one of the like foremost like scholars or was passed away. You got to listen to that. You got to listen. You got to listen to that. It's called Joseph Smith, the prophets nine or 12 part series, but he gets into the, like the everyday of Joseph's life and, and tells all these stories. One story he told was this one uh, brother came to him and said, Joseph, I just don't get it, man. These guys, they, they leave the church and then they go and attack it and do all these things. If I was to leave the church, I would go far away. I would never tell anybody this, this, this. And Joseph told me, he said, uh, brother, honestly, if the devil is able to get you to leave the church, he will already be in your heart and he will fire you up against it. His first step is to have you leave. His second step is to have you fight against it. So I always say that, but for sure, I mean, you don't, you don't just leave it. But, uh, all that being said, my wife, if if I say, ah, I'm not feeling going to church today, she'll say, okay, and then she'll get ready and go to church. And I'll be like, oh, okay, <laughs> I got to go to church, right? <laughs> because I'm like, you know, I, I feel bad. She didn't guilt me, but I, I feel bad. But another big thing that's always been for me, my business partner, he's also uh, an RM and active. He always says that, like, uh, the church 
even though we deal in business, the church is this underwriting factor in our entire lives that even though we're not actively saying, well, I'm making this decision because of my values on this one, it's always there and we don't make decisions. But for me, here's a part of my testimony is that I have felt things and seen things that I cannot deny, right? I, I, I've felt the spirit confirm it to me. This is true. So the fact of the matter is like, uh, did you watch this, that murder among the Mormons? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, on Mark Hoffman's Yeah, I got through the first half. I hear it got better a little bit later on. The second but, half was uh, a lot more tame what, in that sense. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, good. Uh, but what I, the fact of the matter is that if the church came out today and said the salamander stuff was real, I'd be like, well, I guess there's a... Because the fact of the matter is that I, I have been confirmed that this is the truth, that while it's men who are in the church, it's God who's at the helm of it. And so it's like in, it's like in Alma where he says, those who have sought to sing the song of redeeming love, can you feel so now? And the fact of the matter is that when I have thoughts or when I'm getting lazy or whatever it is, I remember what I felt and I can feel so now. So I cannot deny it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I do know what you mean, man. That's, that's exactly right. Um, could not agree more with what you're having to say. Let's talk about your podcast a little bit. It's called Leave It to Deaver, which I love that, love that play on uh, words, the classic Leave It to Beaver um, that I grew up watching here and there, that's for sure, uh, when, when life seemed a little bit more simple. But um, yeah. what motivated and prompted you to get going with the podcast and kind of what are your goals around it? Well, a big thing for me, and that actually spawned my production company. I first started, I just wanted to be, have my podcast. And, and my thing is that I'm great at talking when, when we're talking, but I have the hardest time walking up and saying, hi, my name is Kyle. And this is why you should talk to me, you know, because I've done some cool things. I, I, I understand sales and I understand building sales teams and, and, and how to build a company. But I have the hardest time walking up and networking. I have the hardest time walking up. And I, you know, it's like, uh, have you seen that meme where uh, everybody's having a party and the guy's standing in the corner saying, oh, they don't even know that I've done this. You know I actually I mean? haven't seen that. I, I just have the, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I have the hardest time getting out of the corner and introduce myself and say, hey, uh, we should know each other, right? I've got married. I like the things that you have done. Let's talk, right? Uh, I, I have the hardest time... Uh, you know, going out there and doing that. I got no problem talking once we're talking, but, uh, you know, I, I never want to come off as the guy of, of boasting about myself too much, right? But so when I started the podcast, it's because there's all these people that I love to talk to, right? And I'd love to get on their podcast. But the fact of the matter is I'm never going to get that invite, so I'm going to make my own. And then I'm going to bring them on, right? So the podcast was never to get me rich or to, to do anything like that. What the podcast purpose is to put phone numbers into my phone because I, it allows me to allow them to tell their story, which people want right. to do, and allows me to network. So th that's what it is for me is being able to meet with people that I want to talk to. Yeah. Not what about yourself? Yeah, I mean – it was a little different for me in the motivation. Um, I totally get where you're coming from, though, because that's an added benefit to it for sure. Like I've talked to some pretty cool people, um, had a fun time with that. I'm actually 
this is kind of news to the podcast, so those listening, they'll, they'll uh, hear this and be like, oh, didn't know that because I haven't made any formal announcement yet. But I'm actually going to bring a friend of mine that I had on the podcast not too long ago on more kind of on a full-time basis, and I'll have him on a lot more often. I'm going to bring him on to kind of interview me, so I'm going to tell my story with one of my uh, experiences in the gospel and the church and all that. And uh, um. Uh, he's going to come on kind of more, and we're going to we're going to kind of do this together. He has already kind of agreed to it for the most part. But anyway, uh, he was a great interview. He was a fun time. He's got really cool stories and experiences. Uh, talked to other pretty people with pretty big followings in the social media world too. It's been really fun to hear from them and to have that point of contact. That's all an added bonus to all of this. I that was definitely part of the motivation, but the biggest motivating factor for me was the fact that I felt kind of this call to be a little more zealous. Now, granted, it started out as a jaded BYU sports fan podcast. I don't know if if you're a sports fan even, and if you are, I don't know where you fall in BYU, Utah, or any of that. Um, For me, as a BYU fan my whole life, I got to the point where I got sick of like this kind of pie in the sky of BYU sports. It's like, yeah, sometimes we're good, right? You like, yeah, acknowledge that. Sometimes we're good. We're just good. That's awesome. And then sometimes we're bad. And what I felt like we were lacking was the fact that when we're bad, nobody wanted to say it. I mean, you'd have the local media in Utah, like, talk about it. But you're like, yeah, but these guys always hate BYU. So, like, that doesn't, like, have the same value to me. It's like I kind of dismiss everything they say. But when it's, like, our own BYU guys covering BYU sports, I'm like, can we just call a spade a spade and just be like, you know what? Maybe BYU kind of sucks this year. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like... Okay, well then I I gotta get your take, and I, I don't want to derail too much. No, you're good. But dude, I've been die. I am not a big college sports fan. I grew up going to USC, uh, going to USC games with my dad when it was Reggie. Reggie I'll Bush be there tomorrow night, by the way. Rose Bowls. Are you yeah, I'm going. I'm, I'm, yeah, my buddy hooked me up with one. tickets, and I told him I was like, I'm not cheering for the Utes. Like he's a Utah fan. I was like, I'm not yeah. doing that. I'm wearing neutral colors, and I'll respect you by not. Cheering for USC. <laughs> Cheering for USC. Yeah, you know, I went to the I went to the BYU game where they beat USC two years. Yeah, ago. I was there. Yeah, was it? And I, I did you storm the field, dude? That was so fun. Yeah. I, I stormed the field. I was I was hammering it up with players. <laughs> uh, that that was a that was a ton of fun. But what's your thoughts on all the Zach Wilson stuff right now? He just got benched. It looks like he's on his way yeah. out. Hey, but what's your what's your thoughts on the whole thing with his mom's so, friend, dude? <laughs> I mean, not to advertise my own podcast on here, but here's the thing, man. I actually covered that extensively back in like yeah. July, August, roughly around the time when it happened, because yeah. I had some in- interesting inside info, um, stuff yeah. at the time <laughs> that nobody else had. I actually had a name and a picture. Yeah. No. Of the, of yeah, the I friend? didn't share the picture, and I didn't share her name either. Yeah. Um, yeah. but at uh, honestly, at, at outside of this episode, I'll even share it with you. Cause like, I don't have a problem sharing it now. Cause at this point yeah. the story's dead anyway, but I got, I, I, I got the information from somebody who was very well connected to the whole situation. And here's the thing. The story would have died had people had the information I had because the, yeah. the woman was younger than I am. I mean, just looks-wise, I would have put her in her late 20s, early 30s. Happened to be divorced with a child. So the media paints this picture that 
it it as is a, his uh, mom. As a yeah, like they paint a picture like it is his mom, just not his mom, right? And that's how the thing just blew up. Yeah. When in reality, it right. was a mom, but just a very young single mom, very pretty girl. Like, just it, I, I could have dated her, and nobody would have batted an eye. And like, honestly, if you put right. Zach Wilson next to this girl, you wouldn't even think there was a huge age discrepancy, if at all, from what I could tell. And yeah. once that gets out, everybody's like, oh, well, this story's dead. Who cares? He's just being a bachelor. Yeah. Now, what's funny about that, too, is that months prior to that, maybe even a whole year, I remember talking about it with a buddy I had on my podcast. I was like, you know, I love Zach Wilson. He's done great things just in terms of like how BYU looks as an institution. Like he's doing well. He's second pick in the draft. Like that's awesome. But he's not a BYU guy. And I was like, I'll be the first to say yeah. I don't really know how to define that. It's kind of like I know it when I see it. And it's not just because he grew up a U of U fan. Because you can give the Taysom Hill as an example. He committed to Stanford before his mission. Jim Harbaugh bounces to Michigan or to the Niners and then um, comes back to BYU. The only reason he goes to BYU is because Jim Harbaugh left Stanford. Taysom Hill's a BYU guy. Like he, he's part of that culture. Yeah. He loves BYU. He just like he's a great image behind BYU. He seems to embrace everything, and the fans embrace him equally. I never really felt that with Zach Wilson. He was using it as means to an end. Whatever, that's fine. Like, I don't hold that against him at all. But the fact that he kind of went this route didn't surprise me at all. Um, anyway, do you have a question on that? Uh, yeah, it sounds like you're very – you know, if you knew Sky from BYU. Do you know a guy named Alani Fuwa? You know, I saw him at the gym the other day, believe it or not. I don't know him at all. Oh, but at uh, Mike, the What's that? Room. Not – the training room, that's where he... Well, well no, 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 you're, so he actually showed up in the American Fork Vasa. This was literally like a month or okay. two ago. I was with a buddy. I was like, dude, I was like, that's Alani Fua. And he's like, wait, really? He's like, I know that name. He's a BYU fan. He knew the name, but I was like, I recognize him because I covered BYU sports for a year while he was there. And he was kind of like <laughs> yeah. the under-talked-about guy because he didn't have a lot under his belt, but they knew the athleticism was there. And that obviously showed because he, he, had, he had some time in the NFL after that. He's huge, man. I mean, it's crazy. He's yeah, and he, he so got I, a lot bigger too. I, I was in, yeah, he is big. I was I was in Boy Scouts with him, so he okay. was my homie. And so yeah, we we were we were in Cub Scouts together, and I was I was just hanging out with him just recently. But he he's not a podcast guy. He's real quiet, but uh, but he's a fun guy to be around. He, he owns a company called Ten X Builders. Okay. And they're they're doing some cool stuff. Do you know? Uh, so he didn't go to BYU. He went to SUU. Uh, do you know James Kowser? James Kowser. He he went to SUU. He's a DN. He he was, broke a bunch of state records, and then he went and played on the oh, Raiders wow. for a while. I, I had him on my podcast. If you're ever looking for a guy who's been, he was in the league for like four years. He was there the year that they did Hard Knocks. Oh, no way. With uh, when John John Gruden was there, and so he was telling a bunch of stories. He's a, he served his mission in China, so he did a bunch of work uh, or in Hong Kong. He did a bunch of work for the NFL, uh, like the Chinese okay. channels and stuff. So he, he's a great one to have on. But Dude, I'd love to have him on but, if yeah, possible, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put you together with him. He is, he's the man. But honestly, I mean, it, it makes sense what you're saying is that uh, there's guys who are just doing something to get an advancement. There's guys who, who fall in love with their school. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, who, who identify with that. I, I don't see him being a Matt Leinart or Reggie Bush for right. BYU in 20 yeah, years. Yeah, that's exactly I mean? right. And it was kind of like good for him. That's it. Like his journey now is his. 
it's not really associated with BYU. And I know it's convenient to say that now because he got benched. I actually think it does come down, and this is widely accepted, that it comes down to what he said um, in that press conference. I, or I, I don't even know if it was in the press conference. It was just to yeah. a single reporter. But um, I also believe that he didn't know what he was saying in the moment. I, I think he he thought he I thought he thought he was defending the offense more than he was saying he did no wrong and it's he doesn't owe anything to the defense because I had heard even later that his dad sent him a text message and was like do you realize what you just said which to me conveys yeah. that the people that know him that are close to him are saying like this isn't like Zach's not in the right Off mindset brand. like he's got he's distracted. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that what I heard a take of, because all he said was right. no. He didn't have this long, drawn-out answer. He just said no. So I had seen an interpretation that he's just saying, like, no, like, let's get past this question. Let's just keep going with this thing kind of thing. Yeah, and it was almost like he was mad at the question, but, right? Yeah, mad at the question. But what it does is it get. I mean, it's an issue of interpretation. And then it, if the team want, if the team – wanted uh, the graceful way out of the Zach Wilson experiment to go try out Mike White, they could jump on that and say, hey, he shouldn't have said that. So now because he said that, we're going to give it to Mike White instead of them saying, oh, man, maybe we're not happy with that. Yeah, exactly. I I actually think that's a great point, too, is that it could have just been like a nice excuse, too, because if they didn't think they had anybody to rely on, they would have still played him and just gotten through it. But um, to those that are listening that may not be as familiar, basically Zach Wilson got – asked a question after the Jets played the Patriots and lost uh, seven to zero on a, or was it? No, 10 to zero. Yeah, they lost, they were, I think, it, I think the score was different than that, but they only got like seven yards. Yeah, it was ugly. Half. It was one of the ugliest NFL games you could ask for. And it all like the game ended with a punt return by the Patriots all the way for the touchdown right at the end, like right as the clock came, like ran out. But it looked like it was, oh, it was three to three is what it was. It was three to three. They were going to go to overtime. Patriots returned that one right at the end of the game. It was ugly. Zach gets asked, do you, do you, um, I can't remember. Did you feel like you let the defense He just goes, no. And and I think it was just like applying context to it. I don't think he was really saying that because I think he knew the defense like was great and that he owed the defense more than he did. It was more out of defense of the offense. But anyway, to that point, um, I think, I don't think, based off of what Robert Sala has been saying, it doesn't seem like his time is necessarily up. And I think someone else brought up the point that I was listening to. Those lottery picks, I know they don't have lottery in the NFL, but you know what I mean? Like those first like 12 picks or so in the NFL that are just like these high value picks usually get a second chance somewhere just because they were such a high draft pick because you never know because somebody saw potential in this person. So I think at the very least, his fate could be a different team and another chance at really going on another team. But I don't know. We'll see. Well, I mean, you, you see, uh, I mean, the bigger problem, even though you, you hope your teammate does well, the more that Mike White balls out, the more that Zach Wilson gets in trouble. If Mike White goes and just craps the bed next week, then Zach Wilson gets in But then the other side of the coin is you've got Josh Rosen, uh, who has been on every practice squad in the NFL after he said uh, there was 12 mistakes taken before me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so it, you'd hate Which to see I'm that. I'm sure as a USC that. fan, you love to see that, how that <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's pretty funny. I never, I never liked Josh Rosen myself, to be honest, but – 
Um, so yeah, back to that whole thing. Zach Wilson, I wish him the best, but I don't look at him as like a BYU guy anyway. He said he had that question, like not questionable. He had a pretty bad statement about Joseph Smith over the summer trying to be funny with his friends. I think he's just a young kid. He's still figuring that out. I don't think he's particularly converted to the BYU mentality and this is just kind of the fallout that we're seeing from that which is fine it's never been required that anybody that plays at BYU accept that mentality it just is what it is um but anyway so going back to kind of where the genesis of the podcast was I called the podcast 50 shades of blue which at the time was a perfect name I thought yeah (laughs) right yeah Yeah. Yeah. and uh because it's like we can talk about the jaded aspects of BYU sports well that runs its course uh, content-wise, especially when not much is going on in the BYU sports world, especially if BYU is doing well, then you're kind of like, well, what's there to be jaded about? You don't really want to just like call out individual yeah. players all the time. Um, and I started kind of branching out into different topics. I remember specifically me and a buddy were talking about Rush Limbaugh's death. We were just kind of yeah. spitballing about it. And I brought up the, I posed the question to him. I said, when is it ever appropriate to celebrate death? Because we were seeing some really harsh stuff going out there about Rush Limbaugh's death from people on the opposing side of the aisle. And it wasn't even necessarily that we were like calling people out. We were just really kind of being like, wow, this is like kind of nuts that you're seeing people celebrate a death of somebody that was really loved by a large part of the country. And they share a country with that person. And so we had an interesting conversation about it. That is when I realized, because that, that one got some hits and people specifically gave feedback on that saying like, hey, man, like that was, that was an interesting part of this. And then people started saying more and more, I actually like it more when you delve into kind of the religious or the political or the societal type of thing. So I was like, you know what? It might be worth a rebrand because I also, more than anything, felt a call to start kind of being a defender of the gospel in some ways because I want to be specifically zealous about the gospel. And I felt like, you know what? This is a good opportunity to do that. I like doctrine. I like I like staying up to date on my scripture reading. I like talking about it. I like bringing up gospel concepts and principles. And then I like peppering societal talk throughout their political, whatever it may be. And I thought, you know what, maybe it's time for a rebrand, incorporate more of that and just kind of make it more like Utah based, Utah church, BYU, any of that, anything that falls under that umbrella. And then obviously if it's like super relevant, then it's like, yeah, let's talk about that too. But I always kind of like to have that spin on it, too, where it's like, you know, I'll ask you about your mission. We'll talk about your business background. We'll talk about your mission. We'll talk about anything. Yeah. And so then I was like, what's a good name for that? And I just kind of went through a different, couple different iterations of it and decided on Latter-day Takes, and here we are. So. Yeah, one, one I was actually just – I just had this thought today. You know, I, I've, I've done a little bit of reading of your stuff and looking through, and I, and I know single, but I imagine that – the hope yeah. is to yeah. be married one day, have some kids. Yeah, uh, and and what I was just talking to my wife today about. I mean, you're a hundred and something episodes in, right? I'm fifteen episodes in, but you know the goal is a few hundred over the years, right? But what I love is that uh, one day my daughter, one of my daughters or my son, they can pull up their kid and say, "Hey, do you want to hear what my dad was like?" And they'll be able. It's like journaling, but they're going to hear my voice for for millennia that they're going to know what their grandpa was, not just pictures of him or anything, but they're going to know how I thought, how I talked, my mannerisms and having that for posterity is, is it's, oh, I thought amazing. the same thing. Yeah. And I'm sure that'll feel, I'll feel the impact of that even more directly when I start to have kids, which yeah, 
should happen. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get we'll get moving on that yeah. at some point. Just uh, I've uh, I've had an interesting year in that respect, and um, definitely had to hit the pause button because I needed to kind of like regather what exactly it is that I felt like I wanted. Which at some point I'll probably talk about that on the podcast. But it's uh, it's been good more than anything to kind of reflect on what it is that I truly want and how to go about doing that. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's, I mean, for me, I got married when I was 23 years old. Uh, I, I got, you know, it's funny when I, I was on my mission, I was like, okay, I'm going to go home. I'm going to marry an 18 year old blonde <laughs> white girl. And then I came, I came home and, and I married a 27 year old five foot nine Latina. And so I, I completely right. But I, I've always had this thought. It's like guys like you and, and like Sean, right? Is that and, and so uh, without I don't want to be prying, but it sounds like it's a topic oh, pretty to discuss. Yeah, for me, yeah, for for me when I'm talking to guys like you or guys like Sean, I mean, just the coolest effing dudes in the world. You, I've always, I've often wondered like how because for me it was it, it was so e- you know I always thought it's so easy to get married. You you know you find a girl yet. Yeah, say a couple of sweet things to her, and that girl, that girl's gonna marry you, right? Do you feel like it was? Uh, hopefully, that doesn't get me in trouble <laughs> with my wife. That no, I, I definitely have to do so much for. Her. But, uh, but do you feel like it's been a, a thing that you've just been more choosy and selective? Have you had to see that? Have you felt like maybe there's a character flaw you've had that has blocked? I've always wondered why people who are 30, 40 years old and not married, I, I, I would see you and think you'd you'd be married for 20 years. You know what I mean? So what do you think has been that? Yeah. I mean, it's a couple of those things. I think, I think you listed at least two that come to mind, which is character flaws for sure. You know, I look back and the time I spent in Texas, especially, and this is an episode that's coming up soon. And this is when I'm going to have my buddy come on and he's going to kind of flip the script and interview me a little bit as I kind of talk him through my experience. But it, I spent four years in Texas. I had mentioned earlier and in Texas, it was interesting because I was taking kind of that same BYU kid, but putting him in more of the worldly culture in Texas Tech, in Lubbock, Texas. Not much to do in Lubbock, Texas. Um, if you, I don't know if you've yeah. been out there. It's uh, pretty isolated. It's uh, West Texas, like about an hour and a half from the New Mexico border. Um, and uh, great people, but ugly. Like ugly, one of the ugliest parts of the country yeah. as far as I'm concerned yeah. you know for the most part i think i can say that and i think they most of them would even agree with that but um yeah you get to find out who you are in those situations a lot and how committed you are to your values and what you grew up on and what was interesting is that byu had its own culture of these young punk kids starting to figure out the world and what they did a lot of times when i say they i mean me too i'm not throwing anybody under the bus it's just what it is and i perpetuated it just as much as anybody of we're going to be like the world, but with through the lens of a BYU culture, which would be, yeah, we're, we hook up, right? We, we hook up, which to us, hook up meant you make out with somebody, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like you, play, <laughs> you play morality chicken, so to speak. It's like, who's going to draw the line yeah. first? But we know someone will, but we don't know what the threshold yeah. is on each side. Well, yeah. that was a big part of you know, the culture I lived in, in, in Provo, you take that and you apply it to someplace in Texas Tech at Lubbock when the understanding is, yeah, okay, hook up okay, means okay. go all the yeah. way. 
when you don't have that safety net, when you have that, when somebody else has that different threshold, like it, it changes that dynamic quite a bit. And um, that was a big character flaw in who I was because I had not been able to really say like, wait a second, do you really believe in this? Or are you just like being supported by the people around you? Just because like that's that safety net. Like yeah. there, nobody's really shining a light on your commitments, so to speak, and how you really feel and how you act about being a member of the church. So I had a I had a I had a setback in some senses in that way, but I felt like I handled it really well because I was I had that kind of that moment where I look at myself in the mirror and I'm just like, who is this guy? Like I don't even recognize this guy. And so I went through all that, and I, I went through all that for a reason because and I was really glad I wasn't married while I was figuring that out personally. Um, I felt like kind of preserved in some senses, but also that my yeah. growth had literally been retarded. Like I was not growing. I was going backwards. Right. Um, and then I came back to Utah and COVID hits still like trying to catch my stride in my own business and things like that. And those are all excuses because what was bigger than that was that I didn't really know what I was looking for. I knew what I wanted to be, but I also didn't know what I was looking for. And that was a major setback too, which is, Oh, just find a girl in the church. Well, guess what? You get to a certain age, the church isn't enough. Like being active, so to speak, yeah. is not yeah. enough. Um, there are there are people out there, and I don't want to just say girls. I mean, that's just my perspective. But there's guys too that know how to say all the right things, that know how to appease you specifically, and say, "I know what this person's looking for, so I'm going to be that person for now." And then it causes a distraction. But here's the thing: you're only as distracted as you want to be. And when I say that, I mean me specifically being distracted by all the wrong things. What I thought was important to have for in a, in a mate, so to speak, really wasn't at all. I mean, it can be some aspects, but I weighed it way too heavily. And so that has been what this last year has been specifically is when you're looking for somebody, make sure you're looking for the right things, you know, not, not just somebody that's, beautiful that knows how to say all the right things and then from there you can kind of figure everything else out no it was no find somebody that like acts how they say they act that does all the things they say they do that puts the church first that puts god first and find that person and then everything else will kind of fall into place and so that's been a lot of my focus for yeah. these last this last little bit so i've been a really slow moving because i've had to really like more than anything i've had to like recondition how i see things and I've had to really be disciplined on myself yeah. where it's like, listen, you got to like really, if you're going to look for this person, you got to be this person. And that was, that was. It. Yeah. You, you know, I had a, I had a guy uh, just get divorced and I told him, I said, listen, here's the thing. Um, don't get married right now. Right. Because you'll just be on the rebound. I said, but what you want to do is you want to take this next six months and become the type of person that you want to marry, which is if you're very active, uh, if you're, you know, in good shape, if you're, if you're learning, if you're growing, then you're going to attract somebody who is those things. But, it, you know, if your criteria are no good, you're not going to, you're not going to be a, you only get to be a, a C player married to an A player. If you start off as an A player and then you hit the couch, right? But you guys got to be on the A level before you get married. And then once you're married for a couple of years, then, uh, you know, she's kind of <laughs> stuck for eternity, right? Joking, of course. But, but yeah, I, I, I see that. And I, and I uh, you know, it's, it's something that we all get our struggles. But being able to 
recognize that, make the self-improvements and find that person. That's, I mean, that's what it's for, right? Because it's having that eternal perspective that, uh, you know, I can make this decision to get married because I want to be married. You know, a lot of guys I know got married so that they could have sex. But the the fact of the matter is, is that uh, you got to be with this person for eternity. So make sure you yeah. want to be. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, with that, let's go ahead and wrap it up, man. Podcast, leave it to Deaver. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, no problem. I certainly found it right away. Um, I'm guessing you're on pretty much every other place you can get podcasts, Spotify, all that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Spotify, and then on Instagram, it's Real Kyle Deaver. Come on over. Uh, but this has been a tremendous amount of fun, man. Thank of course, you so dude. Much. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you taking the time, and I'm sure we'll stay in touch, dude. So this is this is fun. We'll uh, we'll keep at it. Yes, sir. All right, brother. Best of luck with everything. Yeah, man, and if you. I ever have any business questions or anything, I know who to come to. That's for sure. All right, we'll do, man. Yeah, have man, a good one. For sure. Let's see. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you again to Kyle Deaver for joining today's podcast. Very generous for him to offer up his time like that. Loved his candid nature. It was really easy to talk to. I had a fun time. I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation. Definitely a unique guest in terms of like just the amount of success he's had, and he was open about that, which I loved. I love it when people are just kind of pragmatic and and to the point about who they are and and what they do and what they like to set out to achieve. Um, And then I loved kind of how we put that in – in concert with the idea of staying in the church, which that was a unique aspect, and I'm glad we went there because that became kind of a focal point in my mind of what I wanted this episode to be about. So anyway, um, for today's spiritual segment, um, it's something that came to me last Sunday, so Fast and Testimony meeting. It's kind of funny. I was like one of the first people to get up and bear their testimony, and they put out this question. They said, why, like, you know, the old question, the age-old question, a lot of members of the church, a lot of you know religious people have this question, but a lot of atheists kind of prove this as their one of their big points, which is why, if there's a God, why does this God let bad things happen to good people? And it was just kind of that question that struck me in a way where I was like, you know, I'm actually, I've got some thoughts on this. Um, so I started just pounding away on my phone. It was kind of funny. Probably for the next like 15 minutes, I was just writing down tons of thoughts in the middle of a in fast and testimony meeting, I can only imagine what it looked like. I was just texting away or whatever. Not that that matters. Who really cares? But it's kind of funny in my own mind where it's like I'm actually writing down like a lot of notes that I feel like are pretty tied to the gospel. But anyway, so I'm going to – I think I've articulated in a pretty good way that's understandable at least. So let me know what you all think of this. It's the basic premise of that question that embodies a few assumptions about God, right? Which we assume God intervenes in people's lives based on the premise of that question. He does, right? We, he does intervene in people's lives. But we also assume with that question that God weighs the quality of that person up against the trials he's willing to let them experience. And let me say that again. That it's somehow the trials that he's willing to let people experience 
like the premise of that question assumes the fact that he will then determine, oh, well, this is a good person, so I won't let them experience this trial, which we know he doesn't do that, right? Because he's said repeatedly, he has stated, God is no respecter of persons. So we, we know that. So, so the premise of that question, you already have to reject some of that. You already have to look at that and say, well, so he doesn't make exceptions, so why would I even assume that it's possible that bad things couldn't happen to good people if God cared about us. Well, spoiler, he does care about us, right? Obviously, and that's why he lets us allow, like, the, uh, that's why he allows these things to happen because he knows that if we go about it the right way, we'll overcome it and become better for it. So anyway, um, before I get too ahead of myself, I want to kind of talk about more of what I wrote down, which is, so if, if God does intervene in people's lives but is no respecter of persons, what is the scenario in which he will intervene? With the, this question, we assume that it's due to the quality of that person, good or bad, and that he may intervene to humble a bad person, you know, humble being having infinite outcomes, the worst being taken from this earth, the least being a soft rebuke, or I guess maybe the worst becoming a son of perdition and damned to uh, hell for eternity or something like that, right? Anyway, you get my point. Since we can point to scripture to see, in fact, it does not have to do with the quality of that person and that he, in fact, is no respecter of persons, we'd have to assume another route as to what might motivate God to intervene. We know that his participation is both active and passive. Because he has the ability to intervene, his inaction is just as telling as an action. And I wanted to give some examples from the Book of Mormon in the following ways in which he has intervened. Now, these are just a few examples, so it's not limited to this list, but these are just quick things that came to my mind. And I do not have citations for all of them. I'm sorry for that. I have kind of rough areas. Um, he sends an angel to tell Nephi to kill Laban. He smites Sherem, or he allows Jacob to, at the end of Jacob, in Jacob 7. He sends an angel to confound Alma the Younger. That takes place in Mosiah 27. Um, at one point... Uh, Alma is consulted, Alma the Younger, at the beginning of the book of Alma, how to best go about strategizing in war. And they go to God, and God tells them exactly what the best way is. He makes Korahor dumb in Alma 30, and he gives light to the barges in Ether 3, right? The brother of Jared goes to him, and he says, how do we get light to the barges? And then I've touched on this many times. Before Christ puts it back on him and says, how would you have me do it? Anyway, it's not really the point. But so based off of those interventions, we see some differences there. So one salient theme that comes to mind when referencing these very few examples of God's intervention in the Book of Mormon is that the, uh, the ones in which he intervenes purposefully, like where he takes action without even being asked to come to mind specifically, which is when he sends an angel to tell Nephi to kill Laban. And then another one when he sends an angel to confound Alma the Younger. The others are when he was actually asked. He was consulted. He was asked to perform a work and he did. But these two specific examples that I'm giving here, he was not asked. He caused the intervention. And what is a common thread with these two things? Well, in my mind, the way I see it, and I'm sure there's other examples of this, and if you have more, please, please give them to me. Please send them my way. And also, if you have other thoughts on this, by all means, let me know. Prolonging his work on earth in certain situations, those are the two things that stand out to me. Those interventions, the ones I'm mentioning, even seem even more apparent 
when, as I had said, he's not asked to intervene, but does to preserve his work. So example, like Nephi killing Laban, like, hey, I need you to do this because if not, we're not going to be able to get you over to the Americas safely, preserving that, preserving your seed, your the seed of your brethren and all that to come to pass in the latter days with the Book of Mormon, all that stuff, obviously. And confounding Alma the Younger. Now that one might be a little bit of a stretch to some people because it's not like Alma the Younger was the only possible way in which there would have been preservation among the Nephites. However, Alma the Younger was a pivotal prophet, especially when it came to record keeping. I don't think it's any coincidence that Alma is the largest book in the Book of Mormon, and it happens in basically the shortest time span. Um, right, we're in the year of the judges. I don't know exactly. I'd like to actually document that, but I would want to. I would almost venture to guess it's like twenty to thirty years is all, but we still get sixty-three chapters out of it. That's no accident, and I think that means Alma the Younger was a pretty pivotal person within the Book of Mormon, and so many miracles took place under him. We had some war documented in there like in detail that had not existed before or after in the book of mormon so i'd imagine uh mormon specifically as the editor of the book of mormon was very grateful for alma the younger's presence and everything that he had done to you know show all the miracles of god and the importance of the gospel on earth so that to me does have some significance and uh, and so when you think about the angel coming and saying hey we need to set the record straight with this Alma the Younger. He had a bad shake. He had some bad influences, all that stuff. But let's make sure he's, at least we're going to level the playing field and then let him go from there. And so that's what they did. Anyway, his passive approach is his highest form of action, right? That's the one we see the most common, He where he doesn't do anything. And this is back, this is what I'm talking about God again. I believe this is simply because he knows what we fought for in the pre-earth life, the ability to choose for ourselves, agency. And intervention can quite possibly affect our agency. Thus, he keeps those rules intact and preserves the biggest gift we have been given in this life, our ability to make decisions for ourselves and be held accountable for those decisions. Which, going back to the question, why does God allow bad things happen to good people? Or just bad things happen in general? And it's because that's who God is. He allows us to be held accountable for our own actions he allows other people to be accountable for their actions, and if it affects us, so be it. That's entropy, right? The law of increase in disorder. We live in a world where things just keep getting worse and worse and worse. Well, people are making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and obviously it's going to have compounding effects on innocent people, on good people. So it's not necessarily that he makes these bad things happen, but he allows them to happen because it's part of his work. This is what we fought for. At the beginning, in the pre-earth life, we fought for this agency. So if he were to do otherwise, he would be going against the very battle that we fought in the pre-earth life. He would be affecting other people's agency in order to preserve good people in this world from having trials. And he thinks, well, obviously that's not going to be the case because these trials are meant to help strengthen people. They reach out to me. We strengthen their testimony. They become better, stronger, and on the path to eternity to become like me. Anyway, those are my thoughts. I thought it was very enlightening to me, at least, as I was writing this down. I hope it was helpful for, to, you, for you, to you to listen to this. If not, let me know. Obviously, I'd, I'd like to know if I'm uh, out on an island here. And uh, if you have other thoughts, follow-up, questions, things like that, where you think this is uh, maybe has some holes in it, I'm not a prideful person, especially when it comes to this. I'd like to think I'm not very prideful in general. I'm sure I am in some ways. Anyway, this is not one of those areas. Please let me know. 
Love you all. Thanks for taking the time to listen once again. Next week we'll be back. I'll have a special guest joining me. And it'll be kind of a unique scenario, but I think y'all will enjoy it. I'm going to be getting very personal in my own history, so stay tuned for that. We'll see y'all next week. Have a great rest of your week. Oh, love, I remember falling so madly. There must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night. Because I could almost see it. Did you fade right takes time, I, I, if it takes time, I, I.